Hey, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning to Grandpa Mark. Mark Anderson became a grandpa here the other day. That's, that's so cool. I, I spent my 4th of July kind of in bed and in the bathroom because I, I don't know, I had my fireworks going on in my stomach, and it, it was not fun. And so I'm just so thankful. <laughs> Ernie's shaking his head. I, I'm just so thankful that... Uh, the message came together because I was pretty sick. You know, it's just pretty miserable. You know, the worst thing that happened on 4th of July, however, was that on 4th of July morning, I got a message that little Cody Esforce went home to be with the Lord. Now, you might remember a few years ago, Jesse Jr., Jesse Esforce, J-Dog, he's a 16-year-old star athlete at South High School, comes to our church, was killed in a terrible car accident. He was 16 years old. And his, his dad, Jesse, a senior, and mom, Julie, have come to church here periodically. And, uh, and now they lost uh, their youngest son. Uh, so Jesse at 16, Cody, he was uh, about 14 at the time when his brother died. And he just, he just went home to be with the Lord the other day. And it's so heartbreaking. I mean, I'm just... Um, and, and as you can imagine, I mean, for, for parents to lose both their sons uh, is unimaginable. And so p- please, I want to ask you to please keep uh, Jesse and um, Julie in your prayers, uh, their daughters Ashley and Kate, um, and, and just, just keep them in your prayers. Uh, this is a very, very difficult time for them, okay? So it's good to be here today. I, I don't know, I don't care what anyone says, I mean, even when we face tragedy like that, you know, when, when someone in our family hurts, we all hurt, right? When someone in our family uh, rejoices, like Mark, we all celebrate with that. And so that's what a family is, right? So, uh, and again, we get to experience family even afterwards today. I hope you'll stick around for that because that's what South Bay is all about, right? So today, got some tough issues to talk about. Uh, but so, so let's, first thing, let's just come before the Lord and, and pray to our Heavenly Father. Abba, Father, God, we desperately need you. And this morning we come um, as a family under your, under, the, under your headship and under the umbrella of your love. And we thank you so much, God, for who you are. We thank you so much for the love that you have for us, for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for your mercy, for your grace. Father God, and I, and I, and I pray and hope that we'll experience a little bit of that even today, and as we tackle a very difficult subject. But, Father, right now, our hearts, our hearts just go out to Jesse and Julie and their daughters at the loss of their son, Cody. And what a, what a delightful young man uh, he was. And, Father, we ask that, that you would bring to them the comfort that only you can bring. And we pray that you would touch their hearts. Uh, I can't even imagine, Lord. None of us can imagine how difficult this is and how grief-stricken that they are. And I pray that you would wipe away their tears and bring comfort and hope to each, each one of them. I pray that their faith through this all would not diminish, but instead would grow stronger. And so touch them in only ways that you can. And, and Lord, touch us, because, you know, what we're going to talk about today is, is not something that, that I really enjoy, relish at all. But I pray, Father, that we would be able to hear from you. So speak to us now and, and help us, Lord, uh, as we learn today um, what, what divorce is all about. Help us to learn so that we can be the people that you want us to be. 
So thank you, Father. We uh, commit this morning to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, for the last month, we've been studying through um, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's a series that we're calling uh, Live Like This. And it has been such a blessing to feast off of Jesus' words. It's just been so rich and so uh, meaningful to each and every one of us. And today we come to a very difficult subject that Jesus addressed in Matthew chapter 5. And that, as I just mentioned, is the subject of divorce. And to be really honest with you, my heart um, was really heavy as I prepared uh, this message because I, I'm aware that many of you, if not uh, most of you, have been deeply affected by divorce in one way uh, or another. You know, perhaps you are divorced, or maybe you're going through divorce right now, or maybe your parents got a divorce and it ripped your family apart, or maybe you have an adult child and your adult child is contemplating divorce or experienced divorce. And so if you haven't uh, gone through it, certainly you know, almost certainly you know somebody who has. And it's, and it's painful. It's, it's gut-wrenching. And, it's, and it can be messy. And as your, as your pastor, my, one of my responsibilities, my responsibility is not to tell you what you would like to hear, but my responsibility is to tell you what God's Word says on this topic and on any topic. And so that's my aim today, to tell you um, as, as best as I can, you know, with the help of the Holy Spirit, tell you what God says about divorce. Now, one of the stories that I like to share at weddings is about the couple that made it to their 50th wedding anniversary. As the family was so excited, they threw a huge party in honor of uh, this couple and the husband at the event the husband was so moved that he went up to the microphone to tell his wife of 50 years just what she meant to him and so before all the family and friends that were gathered there the, the man lifted his glass and he toasted his wife and he said my dear wife after 50 years you have been tried and true well his little old wife was hard of hearing and so she responded hey and so he said a little bit louder, he repeated louder, after 50 years, I have found you tried and true. And this time the wife shot back, well, let me tell you something, after 50 years, I am tired of you too. <laughs> now, I love that story, and I tell it at weddings all the time, because, you know, I always got to bring humor into it, but I love that story because I think it accurately, it actually accurately predict or depicts a simple truth about marriage and that is it's not easy you know, marriage is not easy if you've been married for 50 years if you've been married for five years or five months it, you'll know it's not easy because as pastor david platt put it he said marriage is the uniting of two dreadful sinners it is the bringing together of two dreadful sinners and when you get when you bring together two dreadful sinners two imperfect people you get one imperfect marriage. This is my equation for marriage. One imperfect man plus one imperfect woman equals one imperfect marriage. That's it. Nonetheless, nonetheless, it was God's design. Marriage was God's design for how a man and a woman were to love each other. And so today, I have four main points for you and a bunch of subpoints. And so Open up your Baywatch. You hopefully you received a Baywatch. That's our program. When you walked in, one of our ushers handed that to you. Or one of our greeters handed that to you. And also, uh, open up your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew. And, uh, 
And you can also follow along on our app. But my first main point, four main points today, my first main point is this. God designed marriage. Okay, so write that one down. God designed marriage. All right, so here's some verses I want to show you today. First one is Mark chapter, starting in Mark chapter 10. And again, we'll put everything up here on the screen for you as well. But in Mark chapter 10, it says, starting in verse 6, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. All right, so this is the first verse. In verse 8, underline, grab a pen. There's one in front of you. If you're sitting uh, in these seats, if you're, if you're sitting in the front row, there's a, there's a pen behind you. Grab a pen. And in verse 8, underline, two shall become one flesh. Two shall become one flesh. And we're going to come back to that and I'll unpack that in just a little bit. Now, here's what the Apostle Paul said about marriage in his letter to the church at Ephesus. So Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31 and 32. Paul said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Underline, two shall become one flesh. And this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Also in verse 32, underline, mystery is profound. All right, two shall become one flesh, and the mystery is profound. Now, both of these passages, Mark 10 and Ephesians 5, point back to the Old Testament. They refer back to the Old Testament, specifically to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, which says, and I'll put that up here for you, Genesis 2, 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. All right, so this is the verse that first introduced marriage. This, it was, this is where marriage was birthed that a husband and a wife become one flesh, all right? This tells us that marriage, again, the upshot of this, marriage was God's idea. It was his design. He thought of it. All right, and here's what you want to know about marriage. The first, this is the first sub-point here, and that is marriage is sacred, all right? Write that one down. Marriage is sacred. That's your sub-point. God designed marriage, and marriage is sacred. If you take a look at Mark chapter 10, verse 9, again, notice it says God has joined together. God has joined together. That phrase reinforces the idea that marriage originated with God. God joins together. He joins two people together. And his involvement in marriage is what makes it sacred. And that means you can have a marriage between two atheists. You can have a marriage between two Muslims. You can have a marriage between two Buddhists. You can have a marriage between two Christ followers. And regardless of what a couple believes, marriage is still sacred because it was God's idea. All right, he was the one that brings couples together. Second, marriage is a mystery. Write that one down. Marriage is a mystery. It really is, isn't it? If, for those of you who have been married, you know it's a mystery. I've been married for over 25 years, and my wife is still a mystery, and I'm still trying to figure her out. For example, we'd early, in, in the early days, we'd get ready to go somewhere, to, maybe to church, and I'd be getting ready, and she'd be getting married, and I'm already waiting for her to finish up. And, and then she'll ask me, are you wearing that? And, and my first thought is, well, of course I'm wearing it. I'm wearing it, aren't I? I mean, I have it on, don't I? And it took a while before I finally learned that her question, are you wearing that, was not really a question at all, but that it was a statement. <laughs> and the statement was, you look ridiculous. <laughs> right, Ernie? You need to change. You need to change. What a mystery. Like, just say it, girl. I mean, like, what is going on here? There would be times when my wife would say to me, do whatever you want. 
can I go to the Angel game? Can I go to the Clipper game over the, over the Lakers? Can I, can I do, can, do whatever you want? Well, and I would think, what a great wife. She, she lets me do whatever I want. Man, I'm married up. This is so good. I should have married a long time ago. And then, I, and then it took me a while. I learned the hard way. I learned the hard way that what she really meant was, you better not do that. You better not go. You better not do what you want. You better do what I want instead. Right? And then, and then after Saturday night service, for example, I'll say to her, where would you like to eat? And, and, and she's very easy. She'll answer, well, I'm good with anything. Uh, where would you like to eat? I'm good with anything. I said, okay, let's go to Fat Burger. I don't want Fat Burger. <laughs> I said, okay, let's go to Yoshinoya Beef Bowl. She said, I don't want no beef bowl. And I'm thinking, wait, wait. And you know what I learned? I learned that, that when she says I'm good with anything, what she really means is I'm in the mood for something, but I don't know what it is. So just keep rattling off the, off the list of places, and I'll tell you which one I like. They're such a mystery, aren't they? I don't, I don't get it. Why is there a mystery? And, and I think, why is that, guys, I think that they'll say the same thing about us, that we're a total mystery to them. But the, the reason why marriage is a mystery, however, is not because of these things. It's not because of our male-female differences. It's because of the notion that two people are one flesh. That's why it's a mystery. It's, it is a mystery that two can become one. But if you take a look at Ephesians 5 again, it says at the end of verse 31 that, the two, that two shall become one. I had you underline that. And then continue on in verse 32, it says, this mystery is profound. It is a mystery that two people can become one. And, but that happens. That, that's exactly what happens when, when a man and a woman are united in holy matrimony. They become one flesh. They become one entity. When Cheryl and I became husband and wife, we became one. And we became a, a part of each other. We became one physically and one emotionally and one spiritually. And in Ephesians 5, 31, notice the words hold fast. Will you circle that, hold fast? In the Greek, the verb hold fast literally means to be glued together. It means to be glued together. Husbands and wives are glued together. And it is, it is illustrated by their sexual union. They are, they are cemented together. You know, I've always thought that the strongest human bond was the bond between a parent and a child. I always thought that was the strongest human bond because they are flesh and blood. I remember as a youngster growing up, as a kid growing up, my parents would, would say to my brother and me, we love you and we love you no matter what because you are our sons. You are our flesh and blood. They would say that to us. You are our flesh and blood. And they would tell us that they would love us so much that even if we robbed a bank, they would still love us. Rob a bank, which was my brother was more likely to do than me. But they would still love us because we were flesh and blood. Right? And the implication, I think all of you who are parents understand that. Right? No matter what your kid does, they'll always be your kid. You'll always love your kid because they're your flesh and blood. And I think the implication of this mystery is that when you marry someone, your spouse becomes your flesh and blood. And therefore, the thought of ever separating from them is unthinkable, just as it would be unthinkable to any parent to be separated from their child. And that explains why in Mark 10, verse 9, Jesus said, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Don't separate it. All right? You can write that one down. You see, marriage is intended to be permanent. It is intended to be permanent. But sadly, it's not. I read somewhere that there's a divorce in our country every 36 seconds. Every 36 seconds. 
That's 2,400 divorces every single day, 16,800 divorces every single week, 876,000 divorces every single year, one every 36 seconds. And then I read this statistic that the probability of a first marriage ending in divorce in the first five years is 20%. And the probability that a marriage will end after 10 years is, within the first 10 years, is 33%. I mean, what a horrible thought. You go to the altar, and you go to the altar thinking, I got a 33% chance that this is going to fail before year 10. Incredible. This leads me to the second main point today, and that's, and that's this. God hates divorce. God hates divorce. Malachi 2.16, take a look at it. The Lord said, for I hate divorce. I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. You can underline, I hate divorce. I mean, there are many reasons why God hates divorce, including just the practical ones, like the emotional toll that it takes on a couple or the the emotional toll that it takes on children. God hates the consequences of divorce. You can, you can write that down. He hates the consequences of divorce. I recently read an article on the Focus on the Family website uh, that was written by a psychologist named Judith Wallerstein. She, she talked about how she followed a group of children from the 1970s into the 1990s. And she would, they were, their, their parents got a divorce, and she interviewed them at, at 18 months after the divorce occurred, and then she interviewed them five years after the divorce occurred, and 10 years after the divorce occurred, and 15 years, and then 25 years after the divorce occurred to see how they were doing. And she fully expected that after all those years, they would bounce back. But Wallerstein reported that even after 25 years, even after 25 years since the, marriage, the, the divorce occurred, these adult children continue to experience profound loss and a sense of failure she said part of the article said quote and i'll put it up here for you the kids in my study had a hard time remembering the pre-divorce family in other words when things were good but what they remembered about the post-divorce years was their sense that they had indeed been abandoned by both parents and that nightmare of abandonment had come true this is so painful for some of you to hear because you are that child you are that child, or because it's painful to hear, or because you got a divorce and you know that one day it's going to affect your child if it isn't already in a very deep way, in a very profound way. That's why God hates divorce, and we should too. We should all hate divorce. Second, God hates the cause of divorce. He hates the consequences of divorce. He hates the cause of divorce, which is sin right? Every divorce is the result of sin. Every divorce is a result of sin. Remember that the marriage is the uniting of two dreadful sinners, right? A divorce attorney once told best-selling authors Les and Leslie Parrott that the number one reason couples divorce is because they refuse to accept the fact that, they're, that they are married to a human being. Very simple, right? Very simple, but, but so true that Couples divorce because they refuse to accept the fact that they are married to a human being. We are all human, which means we are all sinners, every single one of us. And every, sin, every divorce is a result of sin. And finally, God hates divorce because it necessitates the, the violation of a covenant. It, it, it necessitates, it requires the breaking of a covenant. Take a look at Malachi 2.14. It says here, yet, yet you say, for what reason 
because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Right? Your wife becomes your wife by covenant. Your husband becomes your husband by covenant. Circle the word covenant here in Malachi 2.14. The word, the word covenant, the Hebrew word covenant, refers to a divine constitution. Marriage is a divine constitution that is accompanied by a promise. That's what a covenant is in, the, in Hebrew. And what makes the marriage covenant so sacred is that Almighty God is one who presides over. You enter into marriage before Almighty God. And so God hates the fact that we break the covenant of marriage. That's your next point. It's a, it's a sub-point. God hates it, hates divorce because it requires that we break the covenant of marriage. We have to break our vows. We break our promises. And that's why when you say your vows, your vows aren't just words. They mean something. They're your promise to your spouse that you will love them forever. And God holds us to it. So let me summarize this. God designed marriage. That's your first point, first major point. God designed marriage. It is sacred. It is a mystery. And it was intended to be permanent. Second, God hates divorce. He hates divorce. He hates the consequences of divorce. He hates the cause of divorce, which is sin. And he hates the fact that it requires the violation of a covenant um, of marriage. And when it comes to divorce and remarriage, when it comes to divorce and remarriage, there are basically four views. There are basically four views that you'll find in the Christian world today, in the church today. Four views regarding divorce and remarriage. And I, and I found this information in John MacArthur's commentary on Matthew. But let me give them to you. The first and strictest view regarding divorce and remarriage is that divorce is not permissible under any circumstances whatsoever, all right? Divorce is not permitted under any circumstances whatsoever. That's the first view. Second view would be the opposite of this, and the, and the, and the, the second view would be this, that divorce and remarriage are permitted for any reason whatsoever. You can, you can get a divorce and you can remarry for any reason whatsoever, Third view is that divorce is permitted under certain circumstances, but remarriage is never permitted. Third view, divorce is permitted under certain circumstances, but remarriage is never permitted. And I was, uh, I was doing some research on this, and I came across something that Pastor John Piper wrote, who I refer to quite often here. And this seems to be his view, that you can get a divorce uh, in, under certain circumstances, but you can't ever uh, remarry. And then the fourth view is that both divorce and remarriage are permitted under certain circumstances. That both divorce and remarriage are permitted under certain circumstances. So these are kind of the four main views regarding divorce and, and remarriage in the church today. And by the way, in Jesus' day, the majority of rabbis, the majority, majority of religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, for example, held to position number two that divorce and remarriage are permitted for any reason. You can get a divorce for any reason. And this view that they held was based on their erroneous interpretation of the Mosaic law, specifically Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. So let me read Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Again, this is the Pentateuch, the Torah, the Mosaic laws, all right? And, and it says here, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. All right, and you can stop right there. It's kind of an incomplete sentence, but the main idea, we, it's very clear what the main idea is here. The Jews took this to mean that if a man um, became displeased with his wife for whatever reason, 
All he needed to do was give her a certificate of divorce and send her away, and they would be divorced. And this, this misinterpretation comes with the, with the word displeased. If she displeased him, then, then she was axed. I mean, it, it, and it could be anything. If her looks displeased him, then she, he'd be, she'd be done with. If she burned the teriyaki dinner, I mean, she was gone. Whatever displeased him about her, if he didn't like the way she dressed, that displeased him, then she was out of there. Anything, right? What, what they failed to take into consideration is the word indecent. It's something, if he found something indecent about her, which has a sexual connotation, right? But, but they misinterpreted this passage, kind of fit, fit it into their thinking, and so a husband, all he needed to do if he wanted a divorce was, oh, you displeased me? Okay, he writes a certificate of divorce. And a certificate of divorce might have looked like this. This is, this is referred to as a get. A get. It's an Aramaic word, not a Hebrew word, but, but this was a get. This was a certificate of divorce. And the get, although get is an Aramaic word, the get was actually written in Hebrew, would be written by a Hebrew scribe, and would be written for the husband. And, of course, Hebrew is written from right to left, but not from left to right. That's the way it looks like that. And then the actual position, so they would write this document. They would fill it in. And then the actual divorce proceeding would take place uh, before a Beth Din, which was a rabbinical council made up not of three judges, but of three rabbis. And then they would receive this document, and they would go over it, and then they would, they would approve it. Now, let me just read what this says to you in English uh, it says this, on the blank day of the week, like the fifth day of the week, the blank day of the month of blank in the year blank after creation of the world, according to the calendaric calculations that we count here, in the city blank, Galilee, for example, which is situated on the blank river and situated near springs of water, I, and this is the, the husband, I blank, the son of blank, who, who today am present in the city of blank, uh, which is situated on the Blank River and situated near springs of water, willingly consent, being under no duress, to release, discharge, and divorce you to be on your own. You, my wife, Blank, daughter of Blank, who are today in the city of Blank, which is situated on the Blank River and situated near springs of water, who has hitherto been my wife. And now I do release, discharge, and divorce you to be on your own so that you are permitted and have authority over yourself to go and marry any man you desire. No person may object against you from this day onward, and you are permitted to every man. And this shall be for you from me a bill of dismissal, a letter of release, and a document of absolution in accordance with the law of Moses and Israel. And this is all they needed to fill out. They needed to have two witnesses, and they were divorced. And the, and the wife was free to go marry whoever she wanted to marry. Divorce, a, a document just like this was all that was initi uh, needed. And the divorce was always initiated by the husband and not the wife. Always by the husband, not the wife. That brings us, okay, all this now brings us to today's passage in the Sermon on the Mount. All right, Matthew 5, 31 and 32. Now, there are only two verses here. All right, now here's the problem, right? These two verses do not represent the sum total of Jesus' teaching on this subject, right? These are just two verses. If you flip over to Matthew 19, uh, for example, there's a lot more that he says about divorce. So I think what we need to do is look at Matthew 19 and Matthew 5. We need to look at them together to see what Jesus said about divorce, all right? So let me start in Matthew 19, and then we'll go back to the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew 5. 
So Matthew 19, starting in verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him, tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Notice the question. Is it lawful? The Pharisees come up to Jesus, test him, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause, right? Circle any cause. In other words, this is how they always viewed things. It was number two on that list. Remember I showed that to you, that you could divorce for any cause. That's what they believed. And they wanted divorce to continue to be based on that, you know, that idea that, hey, if someone displeased me, I'm going to just get a divorce, I don't like the way she looks, I get a divorce. I don't like the way she cooks dinner, I'm going to get a divorce. So that's what they're asking. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, verse 4, Have you not read that he who created them, God who created them from the beginning, in Genesis made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? Have you not heard that? They become one flesh. Verse 6, so that they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Do you not remember that? And we looked at this just a moment ago. And Jesus spoke here about the mystery of marriage. And he said in a nutshell, don't ever get a divorce. You're talking about divorce at any cause. I'm saying don't ever, don't ever get a divorce. And number, verse 7 says, to which they replied... And here was their response. Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Why would Moses, if you're saying that we should never get a divorce, why would Moses say, just give her a certificate of divorce and you're done with it? And again, they're referring back to Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. And, uh, you know, all we need is a get, and then we're, it's a done deal. But here's what Jesus said in response to that, verse 8. And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. In other words, Jesus told them that God, Moses, permitted them to divorce because they were going to do it anyway. Because of the hardness of their heart, because of the stubbornness of their heart. They were going to do it anyway. So he said, okay, if you're going to do it, here's how you do it. Here, you get this document and you fill it out. And you get this certificate of divorce. But that's not the way it was supposed to be, Jesus said, because it was not like that in the beginning. And then Jesus threw down the gauntlet. Verse 9, he said, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Now, will you put a circle around that entire verse, and we're going to come back to that in just a second. All right? Now turn to Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Now, as we look at this, it's, it's very important to remember that Jesus is speaking to his followers, all right? He's speaking to, to his followers, and so this would be his message to the church. Matthew 5, verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce, okay? He's referring back to Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 again, and then, he, and then Jesus once more threw down the gauntlet in verse 32, right here in the Sermon on the Mount. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. All right, so 
What we have here in Matthew 5 and 19 are the parameters for divorce. These are the parameters for divorce that apply to Christ followers, to two believers who get married. You can write that one down. God gives us parameters for, for divorce and remarriage. He gives us parameters for divorce and remarriage. And Jesus said, this is tough, Jesus said that the only basis for divorce among Christians is sexual immorality. The only basis for divorce among Christians is sexual immorality. And the Greek word for sexual immorality is porneia. It's porneia. You might want to circle sexual immorality in these verses. This is porneia is where we get the word pornography. And, and it literally means porneia. The Greek word porneia means to sell off. It means to sell off. And so it's the idea of selling off or surrendering your sexual purity. That's kind of what it, what it means. It involves any type of sexual activity outside of a biblically defined marriage relationship as we read about in Matthew 19, 4 through 5. Any kind of sexual activity uh, outside of a biblically defined marriage relationship. And, and I don't want to give you a list because we have children in the room and some of the things are kind of graphic. So, but you can imagine, think about that. Any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage would be, sexual, would be classified as sexual immorality. And Jesus said that if your spouse commits any kind of sexual immorality, and I'll name one, adultery, for example, um, that is grounds for divorce. All right, so you can write this one down. Divorce is permissible in cases of sexual immorality. Now, what Jesus said here does not mean that you should get a divorce if your spouse commits um, sexual immorality. It doesn't mean that you should get a divorce. I've known dozens, at least a dozen married people who came to our church, who committed some type of sexual immorality in their marriage, uh, and, and their spouse didn't divorce them. Instead, what they did, there was, there was repentance, there was uh, forgiveness, uh, there was a turning away, there, it was, uh, there was reconciliation. It was not easy. It was not easy, but their marriage was saved, and God was glorified. All right, and that's kind of how he prefers to see things happen when, when there's this kind of a, an offense. And I realize the gravity of the, the offense, and it takes a, a lot for, for, for the spouse, the, the, uh, the offended in this case, to, to forgive and to seek reconciliation. But the offended, whenever sexual immorality occurs in a marriage relationship, uh, the offended is allowed to seek a divorce, all right? That's what this is saying. It is permitted, they are permitted to seek a divorce. Again, that doesn't mean you should, all right? But you can do that, all right? Again, um, if, if you happen to be married to someone who isn't a Christian now, if you happen to be married to someone who isn't a Christian, then the parameters are a little bit different, all right? So let's say you're married, you're a Christ follower, and you're married to someone who isn't a Christian, all right? parameters are a little bit different, all right? What I just spoke about refers to two believers, all right? This topic of being married to an unbeliever uh, was addressed by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church at Corinth. So take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And here's what the, Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote. He said, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord. Again, the Lord is always speaking through Scripture, right? That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. 
All right, if any believer has a wife who is not a, an unbeliever, who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean as it is. They are holy. All right, so stop right there. What's, what Paul's saying here is, is very clear. If you're married to an unbeliever, he says, if you're married to an unbeliever, then stay married. If your husband happens to be an unbeliever, stay married to him. If your wife happens to be an unbeliever, stay married to her. Don't divorce them, right? Don't divorce them be- and don't divorce them because it doesn't mean necessarily that they're going to come to know Jesus. That's our hope and prayer. But your spouse is made holy by your presence. There's something about your presence because you're a Christ follower that sanctifies your spouse. It makes them holy. The idea here is not, again, that they will necessarily become a Christian, a Christ follower, but the idea that they're made holy means that God's blessings and God's grace will overflow from you onto them and overflow from you onto your children. I mean, if you, if you are in a family where the spouse, one spouse is not a believer and you are, and your children are going to receive your blessings because you are there to pray for them and you are there to care for them and read the scriptures to them. And so that's kind of the idea. You've got to stay together because the holiness kind of spills over. And so if your spouse is an unbeliever, don't divorce them, is what Paul said. Just keep walking the walk and be the best Christ follower that you can possibly be so that your husband or wife maybe might, and your children might all come to know the Lord one day. All right? By your very presence, God's grace and blessing will overflow into them. Now here's what I really want to get to today in verse, what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15. And then he says, but... If the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so in such cases the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Now, what does that mean? I I believe the Amplified Bible gives us a better translation of this verse. So let me put that up here for you. It says, but if the unbelieving partner leaves, let him leave. In such cases, the remaining brother or sister is not spiritually or morally bound, but God has called us to peace. Okay, so if this here, what we have here is that if the un, unbelieving partner leaves, abandons a relationship, just says, okay, I'm out of here, I'm done, then let them leave. In which case, you would have grounds for uh, getting a divorce, right? So that's kind of that's the idea here. Divorce is permissible uh, when an unbelieving spouse leaves, okay? And this only applies, uh, this only applies to um, a case where you're married to an unbeliever, all right? Scriptures are clear then, all right? Scriptures are clear. Sexual immorality in the case of two believers, abandonment in the case of an unbeliever and a, who is married to a believer are the only biblical grounds for divorce. Only biblical grounds for divorce. I couldn't find anything in, this, in the Scriptures that said that irreconcilable differences is grounds for divorce or Money issues is grounds for divorce. Or incompatibility is grounds for divorce. Even physical and emotional abuse, grounds for divorce. I just couldn't find it. It's just not there. Now here in the 21st century, I realize things have gotten a lot more complicated today. And and some people have um, been in in relationships where they have been physically and emotionally abused. And 
um, I, I would recommend in, in those cases to, to, for you to seek wise biblical counsel to have perhaps a pastor walk you through that. And there's some ways that we can counsel you on that. Uh, so, so there's hope. So don't, don't, give, you know, don't be too discouraged about that, but seek biblical counsel on that. And I, right off the bat, and I wasn't planning to talk about this, but right off the bat, if you are being beaten, uh, for example, uh, ladies, if you're being beaten by your husband, the first thing I would say to you is get out. Right away, get out, because your safety is number one. You and your children, get, I recommend it, that several times to several, several women who've been, who are being beaten by their husbands. Never be in a situation. If, you, if, you gotta call, if you're being beaten, you should call the police, right? And then, and then we'll figure out everything else after that. Right, so get seek wise counsel. Again, it gets very complicated. What Jesus said is very black and white, but I realize that some of the things that we face today is very gray. So that's where uh, wise biblical counsel is going to be helpful. I'm not going to get into any more uh, other than that. All this raises the issue. All this raises raises the issue. What happens if you get a divorce for non-biblical reasons? What happened if you got a divorce because of incompatibility? What happens if you got a divorce because um, you just couldn't get along. Uh, what, what do you do in that case? This is kind of where it starts to get a little dicey. I mean, it, it's, it's even more difficult, I think. Go back to Matthew 19, verse 9. I had you circle it, all right? Um, I'll put it up here for you again. Jesus said, um, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, marries another, and marries another, commits adultery. Jesus said that if you get a divorce for any reason other than sexual immorality, let's say incompatibility, and you remarry, and you remarry, then you, are, you will be committing adultery if you remarry, if you didn't get a divorce for biblical grounds. And the reason you would be committing adultery is because Jesus doesn't recognize your divorce uh, to be legitimate in the first place. Right? So therefore, you're basically getting another relationship, you're remarrying, and that's, and that's adultery. He said something similar in the Sermon on the Mount. Take a look at Matthew 5, verse 32 again. We read, just, we read this, but let me read it one more time. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus said that if you get a divorce for reasons other than sexual immorality... Again, such as incompatibility. You will make yourself, you will make your spouse out to be an adulterer. You will make her out to be, or him out to be an adulterer. And that presumed, that, that would happen only if she or he remarries. If she doesn't remarry, then of course you don't have to worry about it. But if she remarries, then you're making her out to be an adulterer. And not only that, whoever she marries will become an adulterer as well. Because she's an adulteress. Because that marriage is, that divorce is not uh, recognized by Christ. That's what it says. And these are hard words to hear. And there's no way to spin this in a way that kind of softens the blow. All right, so here's the point. Write this one down. Marriage is possible. Mar remarriage. Remarriage is possible only if, only if your divorce was based on biblical grounds. If it was not, then remarriage is not possible. Remarriage is possible only if your divorce, if your believing spouse committed some type of sexual immorality or if your unbelieving spouse abandoned you. If you get a divorce for those reasons, then you can remarry. If you 
divorced for any other reason, then the Bible says you can't remarry. All right? To do so would be to commit adultery. All right, now, I want to close this message by kind of addressing some of the groups in this uh, room today. Uh, first of all, for those of you who have gone through divorce, are you going through it now? My heart aches for you. You know, when you got married, I was thinking about this in my own uh, wedding day. When you got married, you were so in love. I mean, you, 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 there was a smile on your face a mile wide. There was a spring in your step. Your future was so bright, you thought, we're going to live happily ever after. And it was, the, it was the best day of your life. And it was the best day of my life to, to be married. You thought you'd live happily ever after, but you didn't. Whether it was after two years or 12 years or 20 years, for whatever reason it came, it all came crashing down. And I'm so sorry. I'm so genuinely sorry that you had to go through that. Second, if your divorce, if you got a divorce on on biblical grounds because your spouse cheated on you or was unfaithful to you or because your unbelieving spouse left you, you may remarry. You may remarry. So I would say to you, keep walking with the Lord. Keep walking with the Lord. Ask him to bring healing in your heart so that if God brings somebody else into your life, you will be fully prepared to go into that and give your total devotion to that man or woman. Third, I want to say to those of you who are divorced um, and you were the offending spouse, maybe you were the one that cheated on your spouse, or maybe the one, you were the one that abandoned your spouse, I want to say to you this, ask, and if you're here today, I'm so glad you're here today, ask Jesus to forgive you. Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to forgive you for, for committing sexual immorality in your marriage. First um, John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? If you've confessed your sins to him, no matter what it is you've done, maybe you committed adultery, right? Confess your sins to him and he will forgive you. And then repent. Repent means to turn away from sexual immorality, never to do it again. And I love this description of repentance in Ezekiel 18, uh, 21, 22. It says, but if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he's committed, that's repentance, turning away, and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. Isn't that sweet? None of the transgressions he's committed will be remembered against him for the righteous that he, righteousness that he has done, he shall live. He has done, he shall live. So if you have committed, if you, if you were the offender, if you have committed an offense, in fact, for that matter, whatever, whatever sin you've ever committed, ask Christ to forgive you and repent from it and turn away from it, never to do it again. Fourth, I want to address if, those of you who are Christ followers, and if, you, if you're Christ follower and, and you divorced for non-biblical reasons, maybe you got a divorce because, man, we just, we just grew apart. Uh, I just got sick of my spouse, Right? We just didn't get along, and you, you got a divorce for non-biblical reasons. Ask Christ to forgive you, and ask him to forgive you, and repent of all your sins. And your sins, like, sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. 
You'll be completely washed and clean if you have sinned against God in that area. If you divorced for non-biblical reasons and remarried, and so now you're remarried to somebody, you're married to somebody else, then, then Jesus said you're an adulterer. He said you're an adulterer. How many adulterers in the room today? Don't raise your hand, right? Actually, would you all raise your hand? Everyone, will you all raise your hand? Everybody raise your hand, all right? Everyone raise your hand. Okay, everyone raise your hand. I don't see some hands. Everyone raise your hand. Keep your hands up, all right? How many adulterers in the room today? Yeah, we're, we're all adulterers, right? You know why? Because Jesus said that if we even look upon someone with lust, we've committed adultery in our hearts. We're all adulterers. And you remember what Jesus said to the adulterous woman when she was brought to him? Remember what he said to her? He said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go now and sin no more. He said to the adulterous woman, I forgive you. Now go and sin no more. Repent, repent, turn around and sin no more. Jesus forgave her. And so to all of you who divorced for non-biblical reasons and remarried, ask God to forgive you, and he will. Repent and turn around and sin no more. And then stay married. You say, well, I, re- I remarried for unbiblical reasons. I divorced for unbiblical reasons, and I'm remarried. Whatever you do, don't go out and get another divorce, right? Don't go out and get another divorce and break another marriage covenant. No, you're going to be only making things worse. Remain in your marriage. Be faithful to your wife. And with your new husband or your new wife, seek to glorify Christ. Seek to, Christ forgives you. He looks at you as brand new people. Seek to bring Christ into your life and glorify him and serve him with all your heart. Six, to those of you who divorce for non-biblical reasons and you're still single, I know this is one that's going to be tough to hear, but I believe that scripture says that you are to remain single. Remain single and ask God to use your singleness to bring glory and honor to him. And Get active in our community. Be part of a group. South Bay Community Church is a family. And I know it's kind of hard to be a family in a group this large, but that's why get into small groups so you can do family. We got so many small little families here and they're doing life together. And I, I hear, keep hearing these amazing stories about how loved people feel and how wonderful it is. And so, so be part of a family. You have a, of a, a family that loves you. You have a, you have a, a husband in Christ who loves you with all your heart. So, but, I, but I know that's tough, but singleness is what you need to do. Seven, to all of you who are married, or to all of you who are newlyweds, all of you have been married, maybe you, you're newlyweds, or maybe you've been married for 30 years, resolve today that you will never, ever get a divorce. Resolve today, make a commitment to the Lord and make a commitment to your spouse that you will never get a divorce regardless of how bad things get. No matter how much conflict you have, resolve to fight for your marriage. And if things are tough in your marriage, then you just say, I'm going to stick it out no matter what. If you need to get help, go get some help. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Proverbs 15.22 says, without counsel, plans fail, but many advisors, they succeed. Go get help. And if you, if you need to see a counselor, I mean, I, went, I was in more than two years of counseling because I had all these emotional issues and baggage, right? Get help. 
If you, if you let us know, you need a, if you need a referral, just let us know in your Connect card, and we'll email you a, a few names of some referrals. You can go see somebody and get some help for your marriage. And don't be, don't be one of those. If, you, if you're having problems in your marriage, don't be one of those guys or ladies who says, well, she's good, she wants to get counseling. That's fine, but I don't need counseling. You know, I hear that all the time. You know, wife will come in and say, you know, she'll say, we're having marriage problems. I said, well, can you get some counseling? I, I, I would, but my husband doesn't. Well, you go anyways, right? But don't be one of those that, you know, be, both of you be willing because why? Because your marriage is at stake. Be willing to get the help you need. Finally, number eight, for those of you who are in a serious relationship, maybe you're engaged or maybe you're just, you're, you're really getting close to that point. Um, marriage is tough, right? Marriage is tough. Prepare yourself for marriage, Right? Prepare yourself for marriage. And one of the things that we're going to be uh, doing this fall, we're going to be offering a six-week premarital counseling course uh, starting this fall. Pastor James, who has really kind of become our resident counselor, this is something that he's really been uh, pursuing. He's gotten some schooling on this and uh, really gotten really good at it. Uh, He's going to be leading a six-week premarital counseling course. And so if you're engaged to be married... Or, I mean, even if you're like really getting close, you're not quite there, but you haven't quite popped the question, but you're kind of getting close. We'll let you know about this. Or maybe you just, maybe you're recently married and you didn't, you didn't have the benefit of some premarital counseling. I want to invite you to, to, to join Pastor James for this premarital counseling course starting in the fall because we want to help equip couples to have successful marriages. Finally, number, well, not, this, not finally, but number nine, number nine, to all of you who've been victims of divorce. I can't even imagine, I can't even begin to imagine how painful it has been for you. I just want to tell you how much God loves you. God loves you so much. And he is near to the brokenhearted. I hope that you will continually turn to him and run to him and um, seek healing from him. One of the things that we're going to be offering again this fall, I believe, is a, a divorce recovery group. It meets, it, it meets for a couple months and just a group of men and women who have been through divorce uh, come to that divorce recovery group. Kathleen uh, helps to lead it. She and, and Michael just just great at, at leading and helping people through that. You consider signing up for that. We'll have more information about that as we get a little bit closer. Seek counseling if you need to as well, right? Get some counseling. Get some help. And again, let us know on your Connect card if you need some referrals. And finally, number 10, this is the last one, for all of you who are single people, right? Single people. Don't give in to pornea, right? Don't give in to pornea. Save yourself from marriage. Sex should only take place in the context of marriage, which means if you're engaged, you're still not married. You're still single. God, that's how God sees you, right? He, he, he respects and he... he um, he recognizes, you know, that piece of paper that you get from the government that says you are married, right? Abstain. Do not have sexual relationships with, with one another and, and um, pursue holiness. Become the man or woman that God wants you to be, right? All this, all of this that I just shared with you comes under the heading, the final heading, the final point that God redeems, mar- God redeems divorce, right? He redeems divorce. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Right? There is life after divorce. And it's all because we have a loving, 
Savior. We have a loving God. We have a loving and merciful. It's all because of the gospel. It's all because Jesus died on the cross for our sins that we can come and enjoy the blessings of, of being the children of God and being a family of God. Amen? All right, so let's close our time in prayer. Oh, my Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And we thank you, God, for this family that you've created here. And a family, God, that is in many ways, probably every one of us have been torn apart, have been affected by divorce in some way, shape, or form. And Lord, I, I know it breaks your heart more than it breaks ours, that your children have gone through such turmoil and such heartache because of sin. And I know it's not what you intended for us to experience. And Father, I just thank you so much for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. It's because of him that we can have redemption. It's because of him that you can redeem divorce and you can redeem our, our brokenness. You can redeem our, our sadness and you can redeem our all the things, our woundedness. For all, Father, for all those who have experienced divorce today, for all those who've, who've remarried for the wrong reasons, for, for, for all those who um, have fallen short in this area, Father, forgive us. Cleanse us. And I know right now that's what your Holy Spirit is doing. And then give us the courage to repent, to turn away, that we might become the men and women you want us to be. And what, Father, whether or not this applies, any of this applies to us today at all, Father, help, I'll, I'll, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just allow all these things, all these truths to, embedded, to be embedded deeply within us because we will almost certainly relate to and speak with people who are going through this. And I pray that you would allow us to be agents of truth and of healing and of comfort to those who are going through divorce. Help us to be people of grace, Father God, as you have been gracious to us. So thank you, Lord. I know these were tough words to hear, but thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. If it wasn't for him, Lord, we couldn't stand before you today and be new creations in Christ. So we praise you, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness to us. Praise you, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.